everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Real with Sandra and Friends, a workplace consortium podcast brought to you by Relogix. I'm excited to be sharing conversational musings about current events and how we envision the ever-changing world of work. I am Sandra Panera, Director of Workplace Insights at Relogix. With 25 years of hands-on experience, I help value engineer global workplace portfolios and employee experiences by aligning workplace analytics with corporate real estate needs. If you have any questions or comments or any suggestions for future podcasts, please drop me a line at podcast at relogics.com. Hey, Judy. Hey, Chris. Welcome. Hi, Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Thanks for uh, bringing us on today. Hi, everyone. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you are. My name is Judy Holcomb-Williams. I'm an advisor, consultant, and executive life coach. Providing support for individuals, teams, and organizations reach the next level of success and thrive through reinvention. I've spent the last 20 plus years of my career as an HR executive and change leader, and recently have been facilitating and participating in discussions around the future of work. My name's Chris. I'm an applied anthropologist. I'm originally from the Richmond, Virginia area, but by weird twist of fate, I ended up going to Durham University in the UK to do a PhD in anthropology where I focused on public space and how culture forms within spaces. Recently, I've been participating in various workplace evolutionaries events, and I've been articulating how applied anthropology contributes to workplace strategy and design. And so that's why I sometimes refer to myself as a workplace anthropologist. And right now what I'm doing is I am working with a workplace management software company called Facility Quest to help them understand what types of data needs strategies will have going forward. So thanks a lot for bringing me into the panel and I look forward to future discussions. I came across an article this morning actually where they were there was a, a chart that was from a I think it was actually the Slack survey. There was a survey that was done by Slack and there was a graph in there that was really interesting where they were talking about how people were feeling about burnout and productivity. And there was one particular metric that really sort of surprised me. And it was just the whole idea of feeling connected to the organization and the difference between working from home and working in the office. And it was just a slight difference between working in the office versus working from home. But 42% was kind of in that gray zone where it was, it didn't really make a difference. And so the takeaway for me was that because it was the largest percentage of just overall of how people were feeling, the takeaway was that really space didn't seem to really be driving or the the idea of proximity to people wasn't driving the feeling of connectedness, which I thought was interesting because everybody's talking about this, the need for the space in order to feel connected and to feel, but yet that wasn't showing up in this particular survey. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting because how much does space actually play into this whole feeling of belongingness, this whole feeling of connectedness? Is it the physical space that does that? Or is it more about the culture and the leadership and the values and kind of things like Judy, you were saying before um, Chris joined, right? So I thought that might be sort of a good starting point just to talk about, you know, what is this whole like feeling of connectedness and where does that actually come from? You know, I think we're going to see, you know, some companies really, I think there's already some companies who are embracing that. I can't think of who it was who said, we've always operated that way. When we hire somebody, we trust in the fact that they're going to get their work done. We don't care where or when, 
we hire them for their knowledge and expertise. It's their accountability to get things done. But in terms of decision making, so I was just going to say in terms of like just general business decision making, like I'm thinking about, you know, companies that I've worked in in the past that had the flexibility component, there was still an element of core hours where there was an expectation that at minimum you had to be available so that if somebody was either trying to reach you either via email or text or whatever, that you were readily available to respond. But in an asynchronous kind of environment, I kind of would think that the accountability would be on the person, to your point, Judy, about knowing what your accountabilities are, what are the things that you need to do, and how you choose to do them should be a decision that you ultimately make. And so if there's, you know, you're part of a project, for example, and, you know, your team is reaching out to you during those core hours, because that's when they know that you, the expectation is is that you would be made available, then so be it. The alternative would be as the person who maybe is on the side that says, hey, I need to work maybe more asynchronously than the rest of my team, then maybe you you make some sort of arrangements or you make it known to your team that the best time to reach you would be at such and such a time so that if as an organization there's a core hours of let's say 10 to 2 or you know 11 to 3 or whatever that time frame that doesn't really work for you, then you take the responsibility to work within the project team that you're working with to say, this is the time that works best for me. And then that way everybody's clear on what happens when, right? Just kind of thinking about it more from a an experienced point of view of, you know, the, the whole idea of teams working and collaborating together, where if you were in the office, it's easier to do. Whereas now if you've got not only people either working from the office or working away from the office, but then you've got all these different time schedules that are also playing into it that does just further creates complexity. I think when the pandemic hit, I think it's really shifted. I think it shifted that mindset a little bit because now all potentially, you know, the ones, the people who were, who the company said, okay, you got to work from home now. I think it shifted that mindset. I think businesses, some businesses have really changed their mindset of this flexible work arrangement because they did see how productive people were, right? They didn't have to physically see them sitting in a desk and they were still delivering upon their obligations. So I think if anything, this last year plus has shown businesses and leaders and managers, you don't have to physically be in front of somebody to still be looked at as somebody who's very productive and accountable and fulfilling their obligations. Another topic that I thought was really interesting, and this is one that I came across this morning, I think it was in that same survey that I was talking about earlier, was the whole aspect of learning. So there was a question that I was asked in a survey asking people about upskilling themselves. So during the pandemic, um, how many people actually learned something, like took the time to actually uh, learn something? And I was shocked at the the metric. It was like 50% of the people that were surveyed had actually upskilled themselves. My first take was probably because of the uncertainty of work, you know, maybe sort of rethinking about your current position and not really knowing where this was going to go. It's like, okay, maybe I take advantage of the time to learn something as a sort of a plan B. But then as I thought about it, I was like, well, this is interesting because learning and development has been huge in organizations. I mean, every company that, you know, I know of has a learning and development strategy, but it's interesting from the standpoint of the struggles that, people have had in organizations with upskilling. And again, just thinking about structure versus unstructure, where here you have people 
working from home, generally reporting that productivity has been okay for the most part, and people finding time to upskill themselves, I find fascinating. You know, it's interesting because with this HR council that I sit on, we just, a small group of us just produced this report around talent acquisition now and going forward. And one of the emerging areas that we really saw a lot of movement around was this whole concept of upskilling. Companies were supporting the upskilling because they needed employees to be more versatile to meet the needs of the business over the past year as they had to sort of exit some individuals or lay off some individuals. They were really empowering employees to upskill so they could have more opportunity across the organization, just not this specific area, right? Mm -hmm. And then as well in specific functions, we saw a lot of upskilling. For example, we'll talk about recruiters per se. And that recruiters now have to be much more versatile in understanding the business as a whole, as opposed to being so task focused and just hiring this job, they have to take much more into consideration. So, for example, become much more knowledgeable around diversity and inclusion, right? Mm -hmm. Understand maybe more than one functional area that they're recruiting for. So they were upskilling themselves to be more valuable to the organization and add more value and contribute at, at a higher level. So this was a trend that we were really seeing emerging and as a result of this past year. Interesting. So not surprised. Chris, do you have any thoughts? I think, I mean, regarding learning and development and upskilling, I'm reminded of some of the discussion recently on weak ties and strong ties in organizations. And weak ties are uh, viewed as being sort of a conduit for knowledge within organizations. And there have been some papers on social networks. And so how uh, creating cohesion within organizations, how that can allow knowledge to flow easier. And so I think in addition to upskilling in terms of individual people and for bringing more of an interdisciplinary frame. So I think you're looking outside of maybe a siloed skill set, if you will. But I think it's also about breaking down silos between teams and within departments. Because I think to Judy's point, if you're going to try to contribute more value, then I think a big part of it is working with more people and being able to facilitate that knowledge flow between people of different skill sets or people within different departments. And a way to do that would be to build networks and interpersonal relationships between people as they act They act a bit like highways for information flow. Yeah, that's interesting because I was kind of thinking the same, the same thing around the learning aspect and people sort of taking it upon themselves more so to upskill rather than it be a requirement of the job because that this particular article was speaking more to just sort of people taking it upon themselves more as a fallback plan, right? Is to say, okay, there may be a requirement from a job perspective where if the employer is giving me an opportunity to upskill, that's one thing. But if I say, hey, you know what, maybe I'm, you know, gonna learn a completely different skill because I'm not really sure where whether my job is even going to exist in 12 to 18 months from now, it's probably in my interest to to learn a new skill. Mm -hmm. And I was just shocked at how many people actually 
took advantage of that, given everything that was going on, mm -hmm. the stress and, you know, trying to sort of maintain their job, their family life. And so it kind of was like, well, again, thinking about if you were in a traditional workplace environment, I don't think that that 50% would have been as high from an upskilling perspective, like uh, basically someone taking it upon themselves. And I don't know, Judy, maybe you've got some insights. I was just going to say, it's kind of interesting because, you know, I think um, if the last year has shown us anywhere how quickly technology is evolving and how quickly companies are embracing that, that technology. So mm -hmm. we're seeing portions of jobs moving to technology, companies leveraging artificial intelligence, for example, to answer basic questions. So maybe people are catching on and sort of saying to themselves, hmm, you know, as I'm looking at this technology coming, maybe parts of my jobs are going to become automated. So either A, I have to upskill from a technical standpoint, so I'm more relevant, or maybe I realize that in a year from now, I may not have that position. So I'm going to upskill and try to learn some new jobs so I can go to a new opportunity. So mm -hmm. I think that I think that person's being an astute individual. And in some circumstances, maybe the company's even having conversations with that employee saying, hey, listen, you know, as we're implementing technology, maybe a year from now, so they could be even having conversations with them. Right. That's a really important point. I remember for a project I'm on, I read this paper from the World Economic Forum, a report called Global Risks Report 2021. Now, one of the risks it highlighted is digital inclusion. And as a result of the increased reliance on technology, but I think also a result of automation and how automation could end up with some people being excluded from the job market. And I think that's just an important point is that with, with automation, well, what, what are people going to do? And I think it leads to another theme of agility, which would be agility for the workforce, but also agility for the organization. So ability to respond to challenges and so being resilient, but being resilient through agility. Yeah. I think that there's definitely opportunity to continue this conversation specifically around the whole idea of knowledge transfer and learning, mm -hmm. especially around sort of the conversation we had online a couple of weeks back around, you know, tribal versus organizational learning and different things like that, because I think that, that that whole knowledge transfer piece, I think, is going to be an interesting area to explore in this new world of work. And then also to your last point, Chris, about exclusion and kind of the risk in that regard, I'm thinking more along the lines of we're making assumptions that, you know, everybody has access to technology. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that that's not the case, right? If anything, it's really this experience is going to highlight the fact that there's people who are that don't have the same level of access and how can we potentially design a future that is much more inclusive of people right. in areas that are not as advanced as you know some other places in the world are so that there's more of an equal opportunity from a social perspective so that's kind of what i'm thinking for future conversations well thank you very much to both of you really enjoyed this conversation i think there's a lot more to be said, to be discussed, and I look forward to future conversations with both of you. So thank you again for your time today.